Abundance of love, abundance of grace, down to that cross, you took my place, oh God, you take my ransom, my ransom, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. And I love this book. I love the whole Bible. I really love the, the, the book of Nehemiah. God said we have these stories for our example so we can learn from them. And I really want to be a little teachy with you this morning and walk you through just a handful of verses, ten verses, and try to let you learn something. And I promise you, hear this if you don't hear anything else. God's word has the answer. God knows how to speak to his children through his book, by his spirit. And God will speak to you today, and he will share with you what he wants you to know if you will open your spirit to be receptive. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governor's province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, God Has Your Journey All Planned Out. Open your mouth and say, all planned out. Pray with me. God, thank you for planning everything. Thank you for being sovereign, God. Thank you for knowing the beginning from the end. And God, we look to you today to instruct us to be our guide. Teach us from your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're studying the book of Nehemiah this month as our book of the month. And you can read the whole book, and I hope you will, but you need to read some of it and absorb what God wants you to learn. When you read the Bible, don't just read the Bible so you can say, I read the Bible. Read it to learn something. Read it to apply something to your life. Read it to get instruction uh, and inspiration from and guidance from God 
It's a, it's a great book. We started to look at this story last week, and I said our goal was to try to gain some insight into what God would have us learn through his book. Now, only in this case can I ever say this, for me personally. You, some of y'all would disagree uh, that, that y'all grew up as nerds. I'm not mad at nerds. There's got to be somebody for everybody. Um, but only in the Bible will you ever hear me say the book is better than the movie. The book, now how many of y'all, now I know there's some of y'all nerds out there, some of y'all really smart, intellectual, high, high, high processing types where, where you've actually believed in your life and said out of your mind, oh, the book was so much better than the movie. Let me see all the nerds in the room. Okay, all right. <laughs> smarty, smarty uh, people. Uh, now, for sure, can we agree on this? Any movie that could ever be talked about or made Referencing the Bible, the book is better than the movie. But it's just how my mind works. I, I see these epics. This, this, this is an epic story. This, this is, this is a, uh, I mean, Hollywood-esque story in Nehemiah. You got, you got this incredible character named Nehemiah. You got this king who is, who is an oppressor but a facilitator. You, you, you've, you've got people who are enslaved rallying. I mean, there's so much going on. Um, and y'all know my mind. I, I, I start to see Richard Gere in all these epics. I got, I got, uh, I got Richard, not Richard Gere. What's his name? Thank you, Deacon. That's why we keep him around. Gerard Butler I, uh, as Nehemiah. And we got his slightly older, more serious-looking uh, contemporary actor as King Artaxerxes. That would be, anybody know who that is? Well, I'll tell you this. Let's see if there's any movie buffs in the house. Son, a husband of a murdered wife, father of a murdered son, and I will have my revenge in this life or the next. There it is. Seth jumped on that. Russell Crowe as King Artaxerxes. People would go see that movie. We're going to take, take a look, though, at the better part of it. The book is better than the movie, amen? See it roll out that way in my mind. Uh, read the book of Nehemiah this month. We, we started looking at it last week. Told you I want us to gain some insight. So uh, we're going to go through these verses one by one. Be a little teachy. Hopefully you'll be a little learning. See how to make words up? <laughs> Let's keep going. Now, we saw, uh, just, a, just a quick recap. We saw in Nehemiah 1 through 3 that the walls were broken down in Jerusalem. And that, that symbolized uh, trouble. We, we talked about the fact that the walls symbolized strength, safety, protection, and it was really the only defense uh, that was there. Everything else was offense, uh, primarily. The walls were huge, 100 feet tall, 380 foot thick in some cities, massive, tremendous walls, and the walls in Jerusalem were broken down, and it, it saddened. Nehemiah. Now, so safety, strength, and protection is what the walls provide, I told you. And I said last week, I believe prophetically there have been walls torn down in this church, in my own life, and in the life of people in the body of Christ around the world. We, we have seen some things crumble that used to flourish. We've seen, we've seen some pullback where there used to be advancement. 
And if you think that you're higher than you've ever been for Christ, if you think you're closer than you've ever been in your life for God, if you, if you think that you won more people to Christ this week than you won at any point in your life, if you think you've given more the last month than you ever gave to advance the kingdom of God, I want to buy you lunch. Because I want all that excitement to rub off on me. Because I know the majority of people, if, if, if there was a truth serum out there, would gladly say, uh, there, there was a time in my life when I was uh, doing better. Uh, we've been through a rough couple of years as a world, as a nation. Um, when, when, when people are gauging whether or not to pay their rent or buy diapers, that's tough. And there's always been that element in, in, in our country that we're struggling on that line, but it's been tougher and tougher and tougher. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, we saw this, this breakdown of their society, and we talked about the fact that it's time to go to work rebuilding the walls of our lives so we can be strong, safe, and protected. Now, today, we're going to look at chapter 2, and we're going to learn some things. So follow along with me in verse 1. The Bible says, In the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. In chapter 1, we see uh, he first mentioned this problem to the king and started fasting and praying a while back. Anybody know how long that period was? I've told you before. Okay, here's the answer. The second word is months. And the first word is this, four months. Four months. He got bad news. He sat down. He wept. He fasted. And he prayed for four months before he opened his mouth about any of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go on record. Now, some of y'all that have been around for a while, y'all know. I've done a couple of 40-day complete fast with nothing to eat. Um, we do 21 days of fasting every year. Uh, our 21 days of fasting this year will be from, what did I tell you? January the 8th. Start on January the 8th and run for three weeks. Okay? So that gives you plenty of time to get your uh, Christmas decorations down or leave them up. My mom used to put Christmas up about a day or two before Christmas. And... Leave it up till February, March, sometimes April. What do you think, Dina? <laughs> sometimes later. Listen, you, it gives you time to get everything settled out and lock in. Beginning on Sunday night, the 8th of January, we'll be meeting here for 21 nights of prayer in a row. That's a dedication. And I, I'll say it uh, now. I always say it every year. I, I know most people won't be able to come 21 nights in a row. But I'm going to tell you this, I believe that Nehemiah stayed serious about this thing every day for four months. And I don't want you to say yes or no. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to brag on you. Um, I'll, I'll out myself. I've never fasted, prayed, mourned, and wept for anything for four months solid. Well, we need a new preacher. Maybe so, but this is the one God gave you. That's like thinking you need a new mom or dad. You, you only get one. And... He had been going for four months. He had went about his business for four months. He didn't show his, his depth of sorrow. He wasn't looking for sympathy. He was looking for God's blessing. 
And if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God's blessing will take you further than all that sympathy. Everybody wants to be a victim in today's world, in this, in this uh, virtue signaling, justice warrior, allies, and, and uh, you know, bleeders for everything. Every, everybody wants sympathy. Listen, God's blessing will take you further than all the sympathy of the world will take you. So for four months, Nehemiah's been going through this. He's still got his job to do. He's still got his sacrifice to God to do. And he is... He's doing, he's doing what he's doing, and, and here, here it is good. If you don't get anything, understand this. Things don't get better overnight. If, if you need to take something away from this story, from today's message, just understand this. Things don't get better overnight. Now, I'm not going to ask you uh, to, to do it, but if I did ask, I, I know some people could agree with me. Uh, have you ever been in, in, in a time where you just wish things would hurry up and get better. Yeah. But that, that is not the way it goes. Everybody wants all their blessing now. If you study the book that God gave us for our examples, you will see that when his children entered the promised land, they entered it little and by little, the Bible says. They took one piece at a time. That's not how people want their blessing in today's world. We, we live in an instant gratification society. They want it all right now. And on the other end of it, they want all their problems to go away immediately. Things don't always get better overnight. Sometimes, hear me good, you have to persist. Sometimes you have to press through. That's why I told you, if you're going through hell, keep going. You, you've got to realize things don't always get better overnight. But God made a promise in Hebrews eleven six. That whosoever believes in God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you know how diligent it is to fast, to pray, to weep, to seek God for four months solid while not losing your job and go, not, not missing a beat on anything else? This is what we've got going on in this story right now. Look, in verse 2, it says, so the king asked me. Now get this, verse 1 says, I never appeared sad in his presence before. Verse 2 says, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then was I terrified. Now, if this was Wednesday night, Bible study, I would ask, why would he be terrified? Anybody got the answer? In Esther 4.2, the Bible tells us it is against the law to be sad in the king's presence. It's punishable by death to be. The king don't want your sadness. The king don't want you coming in there long-faced, frowning. The king doesn't want to bear your trouble. I can, I can tell you this for sure. And if you've ever been in a counseling situation, if you've ever been in a situation of high responsibility, if you've ever had to juggle lots of balls at one time or keep lots of plates spinning in the air, uh, you, you, you can realize there's a strain to that. The king's got a strain on his life for doing all that he's got to do. He don't want people coming in heaping sadness on him. And if you've been in ministry serving for any point of time in your life, you know listening to people's problems, sometimes that'll wear on you. Sometimes it'll just make you leave that conversation feeling. The king wasn't trying to leave any conversation feeling heavier than he already felt. And so Nehemiah was terrified because the king finally found out. See, there's a time to let your plans be outed. There's a time to let people know what's going on. 
but it's not right away. Remember what happened? Cliche preaching, every cliche preacher, every megachurch uh, preaches this story. Um, somebody told his brother his dreams, and they tried to kill him for it. Anybody remember who that was? Joseph. He told his brother his dreams, and they're like, you spoiled little nobody. We, we, we're done with you. It's not always wise to tell your dream right away. Sometimes you've got to marinate on that thing. Sometimes you've got to re- just, just wait on it. Sometimes you just got to saturate your life and bathe it in prayer. We talk about that as a cliche, bathing it in prayer. The, baptized means to dunk, to submerge, to be fully immersed in something. We don't need to just be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which everybody needs that. We need to be baptized in a spirit of prayer. We need to be baptized in a spirit of uh, focus on what God would have us to do. He endured four long months. Now, here's some perspective. How many, how many people would agree four months can go by in a blink? Or four months can seem like an eternity? Now, everybody that's been in the military or everybody that worked a pension job, everybody that stayed in a, in a, in a job long enough to uh, ha- have a, a, a date years in advance where you knew they were going to let you go, when you get that short-timers mentality... Four months, after 30 years in the Army, four months must have felt like, I'm done tomorrow. Everybody in the Army, they get down under six months. They, I, I don't know why they want to do this. They, they, they say crazy stuff like, I ain't got five months left. I can stand on my head and stack peas in my nose for five months. Why would you stack peas in your nose? But y'all know what I'm talking about. You get, you get what, four months can seem fast. It can seem slow. I'm going to tell you, this seemed like a long time. For Nehemiah because he was in distress and when you're in distress the days seem longer and the sleepless nights take longer and he is in distress but he's hiding it and he gets to this place he was afraid it's not lawful to be afraid but he couldn't help it um, he thought everyone the king thought everyone should be so impressed by his greatness that they should be happy to see him and that's why it's against the law to be sad in his presence but aren't you glad God's not like that? What if you could only come to God when you had that joy, 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 joy down in your heart? What if you could only come to God when, when you had stopped outside the temple and washed your hands in the bronze laver and carefully negotiated the outer court to the inner court, got all washed up? What, what if you had all this process before you could just look to the God who loves you, who said he is a father to us, and, and ask him for help? He said he's a very present help in time of trouble. He didn't say come before me smiling and act like you're happy every time I see you. The God that created you gave you emotions. He knows when you're sad. And it's not against the law to be sad in God's presence. But I tell you this, there's an end to sadness on God's timetable. But it's not always on our timetable. In verse 3, the Bible says, okay, so the king's just told him, you don't, you don't look sick. You must be sad. That's the indicator. You're breaking the law. I could kill you for this. You got trouble. He was terrified, but verse 3 said, But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. 
I'm going to give you just a, a, a couple of bits of advice, and we're going to get out of here. Always be polite to people in authority. Be nice to everybody. But he, here, here's a little misnomer in the African-American community. And I've heard so many African-Americans say this. It must be just part of the fabric. It's part of the teaching. Uh, it, it's good teaching, but the concept is false. Black families are not the only families that teach their children when you get pulled over by a cop, you put your hands on the steering wheel at 10 and 2. You smile. You do exactly what they tell you to do. You say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. You treat them politely, and you get out of there with your life. Anybody understand that's just good wisdom? And, I, and I've, had, I've had black people tell, well, you didn't have to teach your kids to put. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Seth, Seth got into a thing one time where he discovered some videos. I used to watch them because they were hilarious. And I told Seth, you better never be that guy. They'll shoot you dead. They'll find a reason to put you in jail. Um, you can go on YouTube and find driver argues with cop. These people don't roll their window down. Cop says roll the window down. I don't have to. Give me your driver. I don't have to. You can't. Do you have reasonable, actionable cause to believe that I've committed a And they just go to our, I'm thinking, I wish he'd shoot them right now. If he just pull a gun out and just put five or ten in his face, six in his chest, all that gas would go right. I don't really wish. Well, I do, but it's not, it's not kind. Don't argue with people in authority. You think a cop's going to. I'm a living witness. A cop pulled me over on Old Middleburg Road many, many, many years ago before I was pastoring this church. I'd been stuck behind a guy that was doing like eight miles an hour. And I thought, if I see a break anywhere, I'm going to pass him. And I saw a break, and I had to speed up past the 35 to get around him. Pulled me right over. Cop had a bad attitude. I had a worse attitude. I was rude to him right off the bat. He went right into writing the ticket. <laughs> he came back, handed me the ticket. He said, I need you to sign this. Uh, I need you to sign this. I'll give you a copy. You can be on your way. I set it on the steering wheel and just went, holding it up the top of my steering wheel at 12 o'clock. Stared it. He was patient for about 30 seconds. How many of y'all know 30 seconds of dead silence is a long time? He said, are you going to sign it or should I just take it back? I looked at him with, with, with all the insanity a human being could look at a cop and said, can I read it first? He said, you're on a short leash. Well, all that did was wire me up more. I'm like, I'm not your dog. Another 30 seconds passed. He said, are you finished reading it? I said, almost. And I turned it over to the back, and I set it back up on the steering wheel. And as soon as I turned it on the back, he yanked my door open, grabbed me, and threw me in the back of his car. Now, I don't know if that's a lawful arrest, Hugo, but it, it made sense to him on a hot day because I, I had my window barely cracked, and he could feel the cool air. It was 100 degrees outside. And I learned that day, you ought to always be polite to people in authority. Um, and, and just for some of y'all, you know, most of y'all don't care, but just for some of y'all that want to know the rest of the story, he sat there seething. When he got in the car, he was, he was breathing loud. He was angry. He said, I'm going to give you a last chance, boy. He said, because I don't want to write up all this paperwork and haul you into jail today. Are you going to sign this ticket or not? 
I said, yes, sir. I'll sign it right now. I just want out of the back of this car. I don't want you to beat me with that stick, shoot me, tase me, none of that. These people on these YouTube videos are crazy, but we've raised a generation of children who think it's cool to talk back to authority. Nobody in your grandparents' generation ever even dreamed of acting like that. They never even thought cross-eyed in their mind that they would raise their voice to, uh, to an adult on the planet, much less a cop with a gun and a badge and buddies who will show up and beat the brakes off you. So he starts with his... Uh, being polite to people in authority, he said, what was saying at the beginning of verse 3? Long live the king. Now, see, that's a cliche that, that is carried over. They still say that in ink. Well, they haven't really fully embraced the king yet, but they said long live the queen for my whole lifetime. And even before that. But, so he starts with this very high praise, this very uh, polite uh, declaration to the king, but then he just jumps in right into the reality because here's what will happen. You've been praying about something for a long time. You've been fasting and repenting for a long time. You've been living clean, right, and holy before God for a long time. You've been getting direction and wisdom and guidance for the Lord day in, day out, month in, month out. Most people never read their Bible for four months every day in a row. But when you get to that place, not, not only will God fill you with his spirit and give you boldness, he'll also put the words in your mouth to say. These are not normal words for uh, a captured slave now holding the highest office that he could possibly hold. It's not the right words, politically correct words, for him to look the king in his face. How can I not be sad? Ooh, I'm, I, hey, that was, that was risky. But then he tells them why. He takes a great risk talking to the king like this, but it's always right to put the work of God before the work of man. It's always right to do what God has called you to do. And when you know God has prepared you and you fasted and prayed and wept and repented for a long time, you, you, can, you ought to be able to step in more faith and in more boldness to say and to do what God has called you to do. But it takes time. People want what they want, and they want it right away. That's not how God works. God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said he is the Lord, our God, and he does not change. The way he treated people uh, uh, thousands of years ago is the same way he moves today. And we got to learn that there is a time of preparation. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation. Almost unheard from. Almost nothing told us about his first 30 years outside a couple times uh, when, when he was small and when he was 12. All that time passes. He's in preparation for 30 years, for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose. But we want to decide, ooh, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to start this. Let me jump out there and go now. We'd start gathering. and uh, No, sit back. Pray on it. Get ready. But then when the time comes, be willing to take a risk and step forward. And verse 4 says, the king asked, well, how can I help you? Okay, now let me say this. If you were directing a movie, and this is the part of the movie it was in, and Nehemiah keeps shut for four months, just grinds it out for God, just fasting, praying, seeking God, the king finally opens the door for him to say something. He steps out in his boldest way, talks to the king honestly, and the king says, well, how can I help you? Now, do you think... Yes or no, 
that at that point there was a little bit of surprise, shock, and amazement on Nehemiah's part? Like, that's a pleasant surprise right there. How cool would it be if God let you walk into a season of pleasant surprise? Y'all did not hear me today. How cool would it be if God let you go through for a season, but then things just got easy for a season? Doors open. I'm so tired of hearing people say every time God closes a door, he opens a window. No, sometimes God closes a door, hangs you upside down, lets you choke to death. Ask the apostle Peter. Sometimes God closes a door and lets you get set on fire and burnt to death. Ask any of the apostles. It's not every time God closes a door, he opens a window, like God's some genie in a bottle, you got a a backup wish. But God has proven that when you go through your season of preparation and dependency, that he will step in and make things easier. And I'm praying that God is about to open up heaven over you and over this church corporately and give us this type of season. The king said, how can I help you? Now, notice how this man of God responds. He's been praying for four months. Did we see that? He's been fasting. He's been praying for four months. He hasn't told anybody his plan. He hasn't let the king see the sadness on his face. He's been getting up every day, going to work, doing his job while fasting and praying. And look what this, look what this man of God does. With a prayer to the God of heaven. Now, I want you to see how fast this goes by looking at verse 5. Uh, because before he speaks, he, he offers this prayer. And, and in verse 5, he's, or verse, the end of verse 4 says, with a prayer to God of heaven, verse 5 says, I replied. This wasn't some, all right, king, let me, let me go. You asked how you can help. Give me a few days to think about it. I'll get back with you. Mm-mm. This wasn't, let me go into my, in my prayer room and pray for an hour and I'll get, no, he was already prayed up. But even when you're prayed up, right before you step into the batter's box, you need to throw a what? A quick prayer up to God. So he, 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 gives, he gives this prayer quickly to God on the fly. And it says, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. You ought to be so close to God right now that you can just give him a heart's cry look. How many of y'all as parents know that uh, you can look at your kids and, 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 and sometimes, by the expression, know what they need? You, you, you can look at them and tell when they're scared, you pull them a little closer. You can look at them and tell when they're happy, you laugh with them. I, I, I want you to be close enough to God where you don't have to separate yourself and try to work yourself up into a spirit of prayer where you, so, you talk to God so much, you can just say, it's on God, help me. Because that's all the time he had to answer the king. king wasn't about to give him no month to set an appointment. The king wasn't setting appointments with slave cupbearers, no matter how favored they were. And so he tells them, and, and look at all the ifs. These are conditional things. Nehemiah said, if it pleased the king. Well, do you know if God's in it, the king can't stop it? So, so God, the Bible says God turns the hearts of kings and all who are in authority. And it's time that you get some hearts turning in your favor. There's a process that we can go through to get some hearts turning in our favor. But look what has to happen. He said, and if you're pleased with me, your servant. Are you willing to be a servant 
or do you have to be a king? Are you willing to be a servant or do you have to believe in your mind that you're all that in a bag of chips? Because the Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. But he had been serving and he knew that the king was pleased with him because of his service. And he said, if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, backstory. The king's the opposition. He's the oppressor. He, he's part of the problem. He's part of the system. But you know what? When you, when you serve God, you still treat everybody in authority respectfully because the Bible tells us that all authority is given by God. That's why I told y'all. President Obama won twice because God wanted him to. Donald Trump didn't win twice because God didn't want him to. Take all the credit for how you voted, how everybody else voted. God wanted Donald Trump as president for four years. God wanted Joe Biden to pre president uh, at least for two years. We'll see if he can stay awake for the next two. That's funny, no matter which side of the aisle you vote for. Um, don't make me come in here and show you the video. The man turned around and shook at the hand of a, a nobody standing there for 30 seconds. Grandpa ain't well. Grandpa ain't well. I already told y'all. My mama's 80. We're not putting my mama in charge of the direction of the country. And she's one of the smartest people I've ever met. But how many of y'all know? You slow down a little bit at 80. Everybody, everybody under 50 in the room is like, I think y'all 30-year-olds got a little bit of slow on you. So... He's been doing well. He's been, he's been serving hard even in oppression. And he's gained the favor of the king. He says that quick prayer. And in verse 5, he said, send me to Judah. No, verse 5. Stay on verse 5 for me. Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, see, he's already got a plan formulated. He hadn't just been laying around eating Fritos and watching ESPN. He hadn't just been letting days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. For four months in silence and in agony, without telling anybody, he wept and he fasted and he prayed and he leaned on God and God had helped him formulate a plan. He just had to wait till the timing was right. He had to wait till the door was open for him to step in. He had sought God and God had laid it all out for him. If you, if you want to learn something today, learn as God is still a God of timing. It's a time to tear down. There's a time to rebuild. There, 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 there's a time to live, a time to die. There, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. And here's, here's, get this, please get this. Life is designed by God to be cyclical. It goes in cycles. You're not always going to be up. But with God's help, you don't have to always be down. You're not always going to have the best day of your life. But with God's help, even hard days can be days of rejoicing. So we, we've got to learn how to be ready when it's time to be ready. Don't just sit back and pray. That's why I tell you all every year, and you need to be working on it right now. What are you going to fast for in January? We're going to start a fast on January the 8th. 21 nights in a row, we're going to be up here praying. Some people are going to be heavy fasting. Some of y'all are going to be so... so uh, serious, you fast coffee. 
Now, I've never drank a cup of coffee in my life. I'm 59 years old, and I was in the Army. And I was sleeping in a tent when it was five degrees outside, and I was the only person in our whole company that didn't have a metal pot filled with hot coffee to warm my hands. I'm just not a coffee drinker. But I do know this because I drink uh, Dr. Pepper. If you cut off caffeine, if you fast against your caffeine source, on that second or third day, it's going to feel like they put your head in a vice grip and you're not even going to be able to walk right. But some people are going to be fasting, so, and you need to know what you're going to fast and why you're going to fast. Nehemiah was not randomly fasting and weeping and praying for four months. He was very targeted in his prayers, and I want you to learn how to get specific because God's a God of timing. But you got to embrace where you are because until you embrace where you are and until you pass all the tests that God has for you where you are, then you may not ever get to move forward. Look at in verse 6, it said, The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now, there's only a couple of different ways we, we, we can even see this going because the king asked him, How long are you going to be gone? When will you return? And immediately he told him, How long are you going to be gone? So either he was winging it or God had already laid out a plan and he was ready to execute it. Now, I want to tell you, after four months of fasting and praying and weeping and seeking the Lord, you're not winging what you've been fasting and praying and seeking God from. You will finally be a man, a woman of action with a dedicated plan. He knew exactly what was going on. But, but, but don't miss that little small interjection. Uh, when, when something is bracketed, a little grammar for you, when something is bracketed by commas, that sentence could work with or without that phrase. Do you understand that much about the English language? That phrase can be removed without changing the structure. It's an add-on. It doesn't make the sentence. It's an add-on. That, that's why there's a comma. And then with the queen sitting beside him. There's your little addendum. The king with the queen sitting beside him. That's that commas on both sides of it. But why that interjection is so relevant here, because the queen had no authority um, in, in, in these kingdoms. The king was the end-all, be-all, but sometimes the king had a great relationship with the queen, and the queen had influence. Sometimes she didn't. Sometimes the king had many hundreds, multiple hundreds of wives. Solomon had a 1,000 wives and concubines. Um, but every now and then, there was a special woman in a king's life, and this queen was that woman. I told you all last week, somebody tell us, remind us again, who is this queen? And who is the God of Esther? Jehovah. And Esther knows what three of y'all sang this morning. There's no God like Jehovah. Esther knew who God was. And she knew that her God was the real God, the one true God. You think she felt a little pull toward wanting to help Nehemiah? His ancestors are buried there, and so are hers. That's personal to him and it's personal to her you ought to you ought to read the book of esther it, it, it's a great story uh but so the king's there esther's there look at verse seven also i said to the king if it pleased the king oh he's getting he's getting bolder and bolder he's saying this thing work he said if it pleased the king let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province 
of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. He's like, all right, king, you want to know how you can help? Here's what I'm going to need. Number one, I'm gonna let, I need you to let me go because uh, there's no vacation time for me in the king's cupbearer. Somebody's got to taste that wine and sample that food so the king doesn't get poisoned. Um, and so he said, you know, if, if you're willing, king, why don't you hook me up with some letters? Why don't you give me a hall pass? Anybody remember hall passes? I don't even know. Do they, do they still do hall passes? They do. Uh, we used to get a hall pass. You can just walk around in, in, in the hallways. Any teacher come up to you? What are you doing in the hallways? Bam! Dina did the same thing. Bam! Hall pass. Step. Well, they started getting smart, even in my generation. They started giving hall passes for certain sections of the school. Because a dude like me get a bathroom hall pass? Bathroom will be right on the other side of the hallway. I got to take 30 minutes to roam around. So he said, I, I'm going to need some hall passes here, King. He said, I want you to give me a letter addressed to the governor of the province west of the Euphrates. Do you see how specific that is? There's no fly-by-night leadership here. This is a man who has been fasting and receiving direction from the Lord. God's already shown him the obstacles ahead of him. And you need to learn how to be savvy. The Bible says we ought to know the times and, and we ought to be able to discern the times and, and know how to move inside the time that we're in. God's already laid all this out for Nehemiah. He said, I'm going to need some letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, instructing, me to, in, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories. He's like, I want you to give me a letter that says, anybody remember what M.C. Hammer said? You can't what? You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Do you know if you will get yourself to a place spiritually that Nehemiah, not every one of us here, we cannot claim this. I'm tired of seeing Christians claim promises that they, that they, that they cannot walk in. But some promises are conditional. And you got to meet the condition to walk in the promise. And this right here, everybody can't, can't walk in that you can't touch this mindset. Everybody walking around saying, the greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Yeah, that's true. And saying, saying that God, God is my safety and my shield. Not when you're running wild in the opposite direction. So some things you've got to qualify for. And you just can't jump out there and start expecting the oppressors, the system, the world's system to just give you hall passes through life. But if you ever get to the place where Nehemiah was, go ahead and try it. I dare you. I, if we had the time for the truth, I'd embarrass everybody in the room. I wonder how many people, don't respond, don't be proud and raise your hand. I wonder how many people outside of me in this room have ever diligently read their Bible every day for four months. That's 122 days on average, depending on the month, that's over 120 days. I wonder how many people have ever even tried, dare you, read your Bible every day for the next four months. Fast on something. Pray on something. It don't have to be a total fast. Keep God in your mind about something. Everybody in this room wants their children to be saved. But have you prayed that prayer every day for 120 days in sincerity while studying your Bible and living holy? Everybody in this room wants finances to get a little bit easier. But have you prayed that prayer for 120 days in a row without missing, seriously, while, while being everything that God wants you to be? He had paved the way. God had given him instruction. God 
laid it on the king's heart to be nice to him because this is what's known in the negotiating world as, hear me, a big ask. A big ask. Now, I don't know anybody that has had more negotiated contracts than LaShonda. You've had negotiated contracts for, for a couple of years now. And, you know, so they say, well, we're willing to pay you this much if you go work in Chicago with, with COVID people who are coughing on you and, and on death's door. That's the time for a big ask. That, that's when you say, yeah, I'll go. I'm going to need $200 an hour. I'm going to need you to pay for my apartment. And, and, and she's smiling because she, she ain't scared of the big ask. Somebody asks you, they open the door, and, and, and they say, how can I help you? Listen, if she ever says, how can I help you on a job, he works the same place she, she works for, just let her know. Well, I, I need $120 an hour. You want to help me? You want to help me? Uh, I, 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 need fo- I need 42 weeks of paid leave. That's called the big ask. Of course she's going to say no. But what if she said, well, if I gave you $120 an hour, they'd all know it's because we go to church together, and that, that, that's, that's nepotism. That's family friendship uh, favoring you. Uh, I can't do 120 but would it be okay if I gave you $90 an hour and 25 weeks of paid vacation a year? I mean, you, you got to go for this big ask. He goes for this big ask. He's like, hey. You know over there west of the Euphrates, they got robbers out there. They got governments out there that take advantage of strangers passing through. Y'all don't know how lucky we are, how blessed we are to live in Jacksonville, Florida and to live where we live because I don't believe there's anybody that lives on in this area, in the greater Jacksonville area, metro area, that has to pay a toll to walk down their own street. I think most people don't even understand the concept. I don't even know if any of y'all know. There are neighborhoods all across the northeast section of the United States where you walk down that sidewalk, they will stop you and tell you, you got to pay a toll. Anybody, anybody ever even heard anything like that? This is legitimate activity. I, I, I was, had a good friend, went to our church for many years, grew up in Baltimore. He said it was so frustrating as a kid they would stop him. They knew he didn't have any money. He lived on the block, and they'd stop him every day to pay the toll. I'm like, what was the toll? He said, you just couldn't walk down the street in the neighborhood I lived in. You'd have to give up money. This is kind of set up here in the province west of the Euphrates River. They would rob him. The robbers would rob him, and the cops would rob him. We're talking about some Juarez, Mexico stuff here. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about cops just pulling you over. Uh, Jake told me that he got pulled over all the time by cops when he was in Nigeria. And they just had their hand. They wouldn't even say anything. They just put a hand out. Put some money in my hand. You can keep going. Uh, and, and that's government, taxing government, or corrupt government taxing people. So he said, uh, I'm going to need a hall pass, King. <laughs> and you instruct them. Give me a letter that instructs them. Don't mess with me. Let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. This is, this is a plan, y'all. This thing is laid out and highly regulated. In verse 8, the Bible says, and Please always be polite. Always talk properly to people. And that's not just in authority. That's everybody. You never know when the janitor might be in a position to bless you. 
Esther came from slave to queen. You, you, you never know how, how it might go down. And he said, please give me a letter dressed to ASAP. See, some people think because I'm walking in the boldness of God that I can offend everybody. That's not how God moves. Jesus didn't walk around being abrasive. Jesus didn't walk around ruffling feathers unnecessarily. When people needed to be stepped to, he stepped to them. But other than that, people loved Jesus. People wanted to sit at the table where he was. He, he, he was a kind, loving man filled with grace. And you, you, you can't just have this, I'm, I'm doing the Lord's work. I don't care what they, oh, you, you, got, you got to soften up. Hear me, hear me, rough people. You got to soften up and, and do what God has called you to do. He says, and please give me a letter addressed to Asaph. This is another hall pass. He said, that's the manager of the king's forest. Now, how does he know who the manager of the king's forest is? Well, after you spent four months fasting and praying and seeking and getting direction and guidance for a well-thought-out plan from God, you figure out the angles. You ought to already know what you need to happen between you and your promised land. You ought to already be figuring out, okay, well, I believe this is what God wants me to do. What, 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 what are the steps to getting there? And what are the obstacles that are going to be in my way? This is understanding spiritual battle. And he said, give me that letter instructing him to give me timber. We have moved from crazy to benign. We have gone from this, this don't make any sense to wow. You're not even allowed to be sad in the king's presence. You come in there sad. He, he accuses you of being sad. And you say, how can I not be sad? You're already in it. But then you start asking for hall passes, for protection. Tell those people they can't touch me or you'll beat them up. A little side note, you ever go to jail? Find the, not just the toughest guy there, because he might not be reasonable. Find the most tough, reasonable person you can find. Fill their commissary up with money. And then you will have it like Nehemiah had it. Then everybody will know, oh. You, you, you can't mess with that one. That one's right. That, Ray Ray will come at you. He said, give me protection from those people, and then when I get into the forest, tell them to give me timber. That's money. Say money. That's cost. That's, that's free goods. And he says, I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. I am going to beat on this point till you get it. Jesus taught in repetition. Parents teach in repetition. Preachers ought to teach in repetition. Do you think now he's already thought out where he's going to get the timber. He's already thought out he's going to need the king to get somebody to give it to him. He's already thought out that he's going to need beams for the gates of the temple. He's going to need wood for the city walls and wood for a house for himself. Does it sound like he's winging it or does it sound like he's got a plan? Now, do you think the average Christian who's in church today, you think they're winging it or do you think they have a plan? Winging it. Winging it. Just like, well, I'm ready for whatever comes my... Get a plan. Fast and pray. Seek God. Let God reveal some things to you. And, and look what happened in the last sentence. This is what I want for you. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for God's kingdom. And the king granted these requests, why? Because the gracious hand of God was on me. 
Stop thinking God's going to supply all you need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Stop thinking you can do all things through Christ which strengthen you. Stop thinking that all this great stuff of protection and anointing is laid up for you if you're not spending time with the anointed one. Anointing means to smear by rubbing up against. You don't get the anointing living shabby. You don't get the good hand of God on you living shabby. Here's a man who had served God, been enslaved, rose up through the ranks of an oppressive system, got to the highest level that he could possibly achieve, and served God the whole time, willing to do God's work, willing to put God's work ahead of his own work. He got his own house. He's living in a palace. And he's willing to leave that and go do blue-collar work building an entire city. Most people aren't willing to give up their comfort zone, but this is how you get God's hand on your life. Verse 9 says, When I came to the governors of the province west of Euphrates, I delivered the king's letter to them. <laughs> Woo! Glad to have that hall pass in your back pocket. You're walking down Florida Avenue, 1 o'clock in the morning. Please don't. But if you were, um, three people walk up to you. That's the first level of communication in the street universally. They want to know what's up. I got a pass from the king says you can't touch me. Now, you know, if you live in carnal that day, you're like, back up, fool. King's on my side. Huh. He gets to this province west of Euphrates. Remember, that's the dangerous spot that he asked for the king to give him a letter saying, don't, don't mess with this guy, he's, he's with me. I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along an army, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. What's the Bible say about God? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we what? Ask or think. Even after four months of developing a great plan, God giving him wisdom, God giving him strategy, God opening up blessings for him. He didn't ask for army officers and horsemen. He just asked for the hall pass. He got what he asked for and so much more. If you ever position yourself through prayer, through fasting, through weeping, through serving God consistently day in and day out. I want to promise you this. On, on the authority of the word of God, God will give you more than you expected. Not only does he have a hall pass saying, y'all can't jump me. I, I got all these, <laughs> I got these king's officers here with me and horsemen to protect me. Now, if you never watched any good old uh, movies, uh, Knights of the Round Table type stuff, do you know if you're on foot and all you have is a sword and that guy's on a horse and he's got a long spear, you're just in trouble because that horse will trample you. You don't want to fight horsed soldiers when you're unhorsed. And so God, God had the king give Nehemiah all this stuff. He hooked him up. And these are unsaved people that God put in his way to hook him up. Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs 13, 22. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. That is so quoted, so quoted, so quoted. But let me ask you this. Knowing what you know about your finances, knowing what you know about your Christian friend's finances, do you really believe that everyone who's righteous in Christ is just having wealth poured out on them? Go like this. They're not. 
what broke Christians say all the time. Well, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Yeah, it is. Where you at? We're all equally righteous positionally. In God's eyes, the way God sees it, theologians call that positional righteousness. We're as righteous as Jesus. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we're all as righteous as Jesus together, but we don't all walk in the same practical righteousness. That's the theological term for how you're currently living. Well, see, Nehemiah put a season in to be blessed. He put a season of practical righteousness in to be blessed. And he got more than he'd asked. He got exactly what he asked for, and he got even more. And the wealth of the wicked, Nehemiah can say it boldly if he was here today. He can say, I can testify that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Because when I got myself in a righteous position, when I got myself under the, under the spout where the glory comes out, when I got serious about prayer, fasting, and repentance, and seeking God for a solution, everything just started flowing my way. Money started coming to me. Protection started coming. Everything that those walls represented, even though the walls weren't there, God just begins to flood into his life. I want you to hear this and hear it good. Lost people got stuff. And God will let you get stuff for his glory if you serve him consistently. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, cliche, but I'm going to say it. It's okay to have stuff as long as stuff don't what? There you go. People, poor people are mad at people who have stuff. There ain't no sense in that. I'm, I'm not mad. I got, I got some stuff. I, I'm, I'm not a billionaire. I never will be a billionaire. Ain't enough years left in my life to be a billionaire. There's thousands of billionaires in the world. I'm not one of them. I never sat down and thought, cannot stand Jeff Bezos with all that money. That's a, poor, that's a poor person's mindset. Instead of figuring out how God can bless you and you can elevate and God can deliver things into your hands and the wealth of the wicked can be laid up for you, you're sitting around being mad because Bill Gates got a lot of money. And, 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 and people are like, well, he only got that money by oppressing the poor. Bill Gates never oppressed no poor people. You know how much Microsoft cost when that thing first came out? People were paying $8,000 for a personal computer that had dial-up internet. That, That's rich people made Bill Gates rich, buying overpriced stuff. Well, Steve Jobs oppressed He He got rich selling high-dollar Apple junk to people who were willing to pay it. You got to get off your bitterness about what you don't have. You got to get yourself positioned the way Nehemiah got himself positioned so you cannot just quote it, but you can walk into this, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for me. They got stuff that my God will cause them to give to me. The Bible says when your ways please God, he'll give you favor with God and man. Look, look at verse 10. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Now, it's not relevant, but just, just, just for the people who think I'm funny, the guy who was the king's son who was weird about his sister in the gladiator, what was that guy's name in real life? 
Joaquin Phoenix got the scar in his mouth. He's either Sam Ballard or Tobiah. I mean, I'm just evil. Just slimy character, dude. Um, the other guy, I, I, I got Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Christopher Walken playing, playing Sam Ballard and Tobiah. Just so, in case you need to know. Not nice. Say not nice. Oh, it says Sam Ballard and Tobiah. Now, they're officials of their government. You see, it says Tobiah the Ammonite official. When they heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. I, I want you to know this. Uh, opposition will always come if God's in it. Why are they so mean to me? Listen, if you've done something to make them hate you that was not spiritual, it's your fault. Change you. If they hate you for your stand for God, rejoice. The Bible says we should never be hated for unrighteous. We should never be uh, accused falsely for unrighteous. Uh, we, we shouldn't do things uh, that give them a... These men were grieved that somebody was coming to do something good. They were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Common sense would be somebody ought to tell these two evil characters, why are you mad at Nehemiah? He's trying to help people. Because here's the reality. Haters will always be there. There will always be haters in the world. Hater aid is free. They're pouring it every day. And if you ever try to do anything, opposition will always come. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. There ought to be a certain level of, of ebb and flow in your spirituality. You ought to be alone with God, singing to him, reading his word, praying, just meditating on him, and feel so uplifted in your spirit that when you walk out and whoever your sand ballad is, whoever your Tobiah is, and they show up and just try to rain on your parade, when they show up and, and, and ju just, just want to try to bring you down, that you've got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, that you've got God on your side, and that you do not let their hatred bother you. Jesus went on to say in the next verse, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. John 3.19 says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. What are you going to do when they outlaw the Bible in America? It is coming. I told y'all, if they're going to take Dr. Seuss out of libraries and in schools and in public libraries, the Bible will not be far behind. The Bible is the most offensive book ever written. The Bible is one of the most X-rated books ever written. There's stories about rape, incest. There, there's, there's stories about murder. There's graphic stuff in the Bible. There, there, there is, it's so exclusionary that, that, that it boldly says, you can only get to heaven through Jesus. Nobody else can. Yeah, that's not inclusive. The number one added expense, and it's in, it's in the trillions of dollars, just in the top 500 companies in America. They estimate over a trillion dollars was spent this year on a group of employees that never existed in the history of the world. 
So, some of us can remember when uh, big, big companies started getting EEO, when, when, when Army got EEO. Equal Opportunity Employment Officer was a good thing to make sure everything was on point. Um, fair labor practice laws, all that led up to where we are today. Anybody know the three magic letters in, in, in corporate America right now? DEI. You got to have an office of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What, th what that means is you hire somebody based on their skin color, whether they're qualified or not. That's diversity. Equity means that if they're not good at the job and the three candidates over here are better than them, give them an 80-yard head start in a 100-yard race and call them the winner. That's equity. Inclusion says everybody can compete in the Olympics no matter how athletic you are or are not. That's all a ball of hogwash. That's all ridiculous, but that's what America's come to. A woman two years ago successfully, or three years ago, the year before the pandemic, she successfully sued the state of California. Listen, her daughter was five foot four, 280 pounds. I had to drop the mic on that. Well, what's wrong with that? Uh, 150,000 things are wrong with that. My, my kids will tell you, have, have I, have I not said any parent that lets their child get that big should be convicted of child abuse? Had no five-foot-four girl walking around at 280 pounds. You know the health problems a 280-pound woman is going to have that's that short? That is not, not going to happen. Be good. So, anyway, big old 280-pound daughter in a high school. It is what it is for her whole lifetime. Who were the cheerleaders? Was it the five foot four, two hundred eighty pound chick? She wasn't even the base. You, if if you weighed one hundred forty five pounds in my school and you were on a cheerleading squad, you were you were you were the base of the pyramid. You were the big girl. For the history of mankind, cheerleaders have have been more athletic and uh, good looking. This woman sued the state of California, and she said it's not fair that skinnier, more athletic girls get to be cheerleaders. You are. Discri you've disen this is a great word in, in, in our culture. You've disenfranchised my daughter. No. Oreo cookies and ice cream disenfranchised your daughter. An extra serving of gravy, dis drinking gravy as a beverage disenfranchised your daughter. Get this. Mom won. So guess who can be a cheerleader at any high school in the state of California now and forever? Any fat chick that wants to try out. They're talking right now about doing away with SAT scores for admission. Some colleges have already done it. You don't even have to have a good SAT score to get into some schools. You know why? Well, it disenfranchises. If you have to have an 1150 on your SAT, that disenfranchises those who had a 400 on their SAT. You get 400 for putting your name on it. That's a long-known fact. You start with 400. And letting people in colleges that ain't smart enough to get in them are not going to allow them to be proficient at their job. That's why we got a nation full of public school teachers that don't speak proper English. They can't pass the standard test themselves. Diversity, equity, inclusion. That, that means I get to run against the fastest sprinter in the world in, in a 100-yard in a, in a dash, and they give me an 80-yard head start. And I win, and I say, I'm faster than you. No, it's just crazy. But eventually, they're going to take the Bible off the shelf because it's, non, it's, it's not diverse. 
Jesus came to the Jew first. Ooh, why they got to be special? God just disenfranchised. In today's politically correct, crazy DEI world, well, that's just disenfranchising everybody else. Why are they first? Because God said they're first. In his world, he can do whatever he wants to do. When they, did, when, they, when they make the Bible illegal, because it's offensive to Muslims, it's offensive to the LGBTQF plus community, it's offensive to the transgender, uh, 85 uh, non-gender conforming, non-binary, uh, third spirit. They're just making stuff up at this point. But it's offensive to all of them. The Bible is literally the most offensive book ever written. And it's still on the shelf, and Dr. Seuss isn't, because thing one and thing two, one of them should have been black, according to the scholars looking back on it. And the, uh, Neither one of them were white. They were like off purple. They weren't even human. What are we arguing about what color non-human fake things in a book are? Wait till they wake up and realize the Bible says it's to the Jew first and that anybody who's not a Christian is a thief and a liar if they try to go to heaven. But what will you do when they outlaw the Bible and you know that at 4401 Georgetown Drive, Jacksonville, Florida, 32210, there's going to be a country boy standing in a pulpit with a Bible on the desk reading out of God's holy word that week. Are you going to show up and face incarceration? Or are you just going to be like, well, you know, they told us we can't have church. All these churches shut down. We've got people that quit our church because as the pastor of this church, I decided to continue through COVID. And I took counsel. Outside the church, I took counsel from our leadership, and I told everybody, if you need to stay home and isolate, do that. If you need to, you know, live, live in a bubble, do that. We had, I had somebody call me on the phone and say, I, I just don't even know what happened to my pastor. I always knew you as somebody who loved the people more than you love yourself. Now, just because you want to preach, you're making people come to church on Sunday. When the mayor said no church. You said we're supposed to obey the law of the land. You're breaking the law. You better believe I'm breaking the law because the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that we must, when, when the law differentiates from the written word of God, we must obey God and not man. And if they outlaw this book, I'm still going to preach it. They've already put pastors in jail in Canada. This going back to the Supreme Court now. They found a new way. They ruined that cake maker who, who wouldn't make a cake for the homosexual wedding. I, I, I want to find a homosexual cake maker and, and say, I, I want you to make a cake for me. I wanted to say cis-normative, heterosexual, white men rule the world. Uh, you think they would make that cake for me? Because it violates their freedom of expression. You think the Supreme Court would side with me and shut them down? No, because it doesn't fit that narrative that they're pushing. When they outlaw the Bible and go into church, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to press through? Listen, th- there's, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. So what's the point? There's a lot of work to do for God, and when you try to do a work for God, you need to realize these things, and I'm done. Number one, things don't always get better overnight. How many months did Nehemiah fast, pray, and seek God? Four months. Number two, I told you it's risky. Nehemiah took a risk talking to the king the way he did, and if you're going to do a great work for God, there's going to be risks. Hear this good. Don't miss this. If you live a life of no risk, You will live a life of no reward. No risk. No reward. There's risk 
Number three, always pray before you talk about anything. Always pray before you speak about important things. Don't just fly off at the mouth. You know, I think God, seek God heavy for, for what you believe he's put in your heart. I want to see your dreams manifest in 2023. I'm so fired up. First thing I told the staff, they walk in this morning uh, for us to pray together. I'm still super fired up for 2023. I, I, ha I have been with the Lord. And I know that, that, that there's going to be some manifest destiny in 2023. I could have been dead. I went my whole life never being sick. I went my whole life not going to doctors. When I got in a car wreck in 2021, and the, the car wreck insurance people paid for me to have uh, lots of um, scans done on my body, because I was dealing with some post-concussion stuff and some vertigo and some, some different things, they found out that I had a tumor, a can cancer in the top of my head. They found out that I had cancer in my thyroid gland. It's starting to puff up right here, Dean. I need to have you look at that. Um, and that I had a big, giant tumor right here where they sliced me open and put 65 stitches in me. In one year, I'd never been sick ever. I ne I, I'd never, I'd never been, been one of these go-to-the-doctor guys, but I decided, ooh, I better go to the marketplace right now and get insurance so I can get all that worked on in 2022. Three different procedures done just in those areas, plus what's going on with my back and my neck. I want to tell you, things can go from bad to worse in a hurry. But we need to be the ones who are always praying before we speak about important things. Man, it, it, it's been a crazy year. I believe for sure because I've spent time with God. 2023, some of y'all are going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Some of you believe that God has something for you to do. Some of you have believed that for a long time. Some of you are just coming into believing that. I don't care if it's a secular business you want to start, if it's just something that you believe in God for, let's press in. Let's don't even wait until January the 8th. Let's start getting serious about God now so we can be praying about this stuff in advance. Number four, I told you God has people in prominent places to help you. Just like he put Queen Esther there, miraculously positioned her. God put her there to help his kingdom advance. And I'm going to tell you something. God's got, prominent, God's got people in prominent places to help you. You might not even know who they are yet. You might feel like you've battled every battle on your own your whole life. You may feel like your boss never had your back. You may feel like you've always been up against it. I can assure you based on the authority of God's word. There's people in prominent places sitting ready to help you with hall passes, with protection, with stuff you got to get yourself positioned and prepared for it. Fifth thing I told you, I don't even think I hit on this because I'm trying to get you out of here. You don't have to have the provision. Remember what Nehemiah said? I just don't need protection. I'm going to need you to give me some stuff. You don't have, Nehemiah didn't have any of that stuff. He didn't have the protection. He didn't have the provision. You don't have to have it. Cliche, but I'll throw it at you. Where God guides he provides. And God wants to guide you to the place he created you to be. You're not here by accident. You're here by design. 
from the Most High God. And He has work for all of us to do. And we need to get to it. Last thing. I said opposition will always come if God's in it. Somebody's always going to resist your efforts to do what God wants you to do. There's a Sanballat and a Tobiah that hate your guts. You might not even know it. Sanballat and Tobiah are lurking. Man, I, I have, I've had some successes in my life spiritually. I've had lots of failures in my life spiritually. I've done some good things. I've done some bad things. But God's always been faithful. And one verse of Scripture I've never had to worry about. Jesus said, beware. Uh-oh, trouble. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Anybody under 50 don't understand that. Some of y'all remember that. Jesus said, beware. Okay, well, that's something coming. He said, beware when all men speak well of you. I'm just like, Phew. <laughs> I had to worry about that one, Lord. We're good right there. If everybody is talking about how great you are, unless they're bragging on God for you, something probably off with that because there's going to be some opposition. You just need to understand it. You're like, well, I don't like that part. Well, I'm sure the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars would, would love to get no opposition in the rest of their games this year. That'd be great. They could just win 100 to nothing every game. But that's not how life is. It's not how life is. Stop asking God for an easier assignment. And let God carry you through the assignment he has for you. Stop asking God for less opposition. And start leaning on him for grace to your oppressor. Stop asking God to make life so easy. He never made life easy for Jesus. He never made life easy for the apostles. We always have been a small, called-out group of people that were destined to come up the wrong side of the mountain and be that minority of minorities. It's going to be opposition. But if God's in it, it's going to be okay. Player haters everywhere. And if you ever get serious about serving God, new opposition is going to arrive. But you know what? That means just a chance for God to shine. If you're in the midst of opposition right now, lock in. If you've got anybody opposing you right now, if you, even if it's your own mind, even if it's just your own health, even if it's your fine, whatever it is, lock in and realize it is true because the Bible says it's true. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It is true because the Bible says it's true. Not only does he go before us, he's our rear guard too. God loves his children. And I want to get where the grace of God is on my life like Nehemiah. And I want to see you, whatever that dream you have. Start praying. Figure out what you want to fast. Please start with the salvation of everybody you love. There's nothing more important than that. You opening up your dream job, not nearly as important as all your family going to heaven. Start praying and fasting on some specific stuff. Nehemiah got all this instruction for God. You're going to need a house. You're going to need wood. You're going to need provision. You're going to need a king to give you some protection. And he was ready when the time was ready. And so here, here's what I want to close and leave you with. When God finally opens the door, for you to step up to the plate and do what he designed you to do. Are you going to be ready to swing the bat? When it comes your time. When finally. 
the clouds part and the sun smiles on you and you see your opportunity, are you going to be ready? Will you have already spent months in prayer? Will you have already spent months in weeping? Will you already have spent months in dedication to God? Or will you be sitting there thinking, man, I wish I was ready for this. But I got I to gotta straighten some things up. Last thing I'm going to tell you. Get it straight before you step up to the plate. Get it straight before you ever step up to the plate. God's got something for you to do. But we got to get ready. It's not by happenstance that T.D. Jakes' most fam- two famous words uh, became his most two famous words. I said it in the last paragraph. And some of y'all didn't hear it and some of y'all don't know. Anybody know what the two most famous words T.D. Jakes ever said? Get ready, get ready, get ready. And that's real. We need to get ready for the cycle of life. That is coming. God said as long as the earth remains, there'd be seed time and harvest. It'll go from here to here. The sun's going to come up. The sun's going to go down. Seasons change. We're about to go into a big change. Some of y'all is going to take y'all all month to stop writing 2022 on y'all's checks. Some of us ain't wrote a check in years, so we got past that. Get ready. God has something bigger for you than you can imagine. If your dream of what God wants you to do doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. It might be a good idea, but a God-sized idea will make you realize, whoo, if that's going to happen, I'm going to need the Lord's help. And I want you to get ready and consider these six things. Pray with me. God, thank you for preparing everything for us. God, I believe in all that I am that you have a plan that your protection and your provision is available to us if we would just walk in your grace. So I ask you, God, to overshadow us. I ask you, God, to draw us close to you. You said if we draw close to you, you draw close to us. And I pray, God, this would be a drawing season for everybody in this room. Let your children around the world, God, begin to prepare to set aside the hustle and the bustle of this holiday time and to focus on the true God of heaven. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. I pray you fill us with your spirit that we might live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.